Well, good morning, everyone. Don't worry, I'll have you out of here by 2 (laughs) o'clock. Now, I realize there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. So, uh, well, everybody knows that June is Pride Month, and my goodness, I seen another Pride flag this week. Now, this Pride flag had all the different shades of gray, and below it, it said, Gray Pride. We're old. We're tired. Now get off our lawn. That's a pride flag I can get behind. (laughs) So um, how many, just out of curiosity, how many were here for the New Year's Sunday service, Sunday morning service, when I spoke? Okay, we have a couple. We have a few. All right. So it's been since New Year's since I've been back to speak with you. And uh, so it's, you know, about six months, give or take. And uh, so those you who, of you who are here, you guys are in trouble. It's pop quiz time. Do you remember what I spoke about New Year's Day or New Year's Sunday? Uh, do you guys remember? Do you remember the verses I told you to write down and to memorize? That's okay. That's okay. I understand. Because sometimes I get up to go into the kitchen, and as soon as I get there, I forget what I was going in there for. So I can't blame you guys. I mean, six months ago was a long time. So I'm just going to kind of refresh your memory. The verses I had you memorize for the year were two verses. First, uh, the first one was Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, which reads, But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things what are all these things all the things you stand in need of all these things will be added unto you so that was the first verse i asked you to memorize for this year to help you to get through this year because we all know the writing's on the wall it's probably not going to be an easy year it probably hasn't been an easy year up to this point the second verse i asked you to memorize and write down was Romans 8:28 and a lot of us already know this and we know that all things work together for good for them that love God and to and that are called according to his purpose so those two verses if you write those verses down put them on your computer monitor put them on your refrigerator put them on the mirror in the bathroom wherever you go the most some of them you can just plaster it on your phone because I know you're out there always doing selfies all the time so you're always going to see it right <laughs> So, Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And Romans 8.28, And we know that all things work together for good, for them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. So we're about halfway through this year already. How are you clinging to those verses? How's it working out for you? For those who have remembered, I hope they've been really helpful because I found myself encountering things in this year that I'm always going back to those two verses and those two verses has been helping me to stay grounded uh, and to stay focused. Now, you're still here, you're clothed, you have food in your belly. I see a lot of Tim Hortons cups and so you probably had a breakfast sandwich along with that. Uh, You likely drove here so you have a vehicle. You're six feet above the ground. You've got a roof over your head. So I say you're doing pretty okay. But you're saying, oh, oh, pastor, you 
You just don't understand. My vehicle's about to get repoed. I'm about to get evicted from my apartment. I can't pay my bills. People are, are spreading vicious rumors about me on social media. I'm about to lose my job because of my stance and conviction on the LBGTQ agenda. Well, I have to admit, that's, yeah, that's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. But is it as bad as Daniel and Paul? Is it as bad as Daniel and Paul? Turn with me, if you will, to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to read the first seven verses. Let's kind of put our lives here in perspective. We don't realize how blessed we are in North America and Canada and the United States. Yes, it's swirling around the rim of the bowl. It, we're about ready to get sucked under, and it's pretty, it's pretty bad. We're surrounded by a lot of floaters, if you know what I mean. But it's still not as bad as Daniel and Paul. We still have it a lot better than Daniel and Paul. So Daniel chapter 1, first seven verses. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his gods. And he brought the articles into the treasury house of his God. So first of all, Jerusalem has been besieged, surrounded, invaded, and conquered. And now all of Jerusalem and all of Judah is being carried off into Babylonian captivity. That would be like the Chinese invading Grand Falls and seizing our property, seizing our houses, and carrying us off to some weird place in China to be captives, to be prisoners. That's, that's what it would be like. And then it said, the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs. Well, that's not a really good word. If, he has, if this king of Babylon has people serving him that are eunuchs, do you know what they had to go through to become eunuchs? Yeah, I mean, everybody's talking about these transgender surgeries. It was nothing compared to being a eunuch. It says, then king, the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants. So we're talking about the royal family. We're talking about nobility and royalty. And some of the nobles, young men in whom there is no blemish, but good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three-year training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, these were young men, teenagers, just teenagers. But these were young men who were taken off into captivity into Babylon. They were of the royal family. They had a really good education. They, they were in really good health. So they were going to assimilate them into Babylonian culture, make them all forget that they were Jews. Make them forget about God's word. Make them forget about the God of Israel. And they were going to spend three years in Babylonian university to indoctrinate them 
into the philosophies, the worldview, and the religion of the Chaldeans, of the Babylonians. But we know that this didn't shake Daniel. That says a lot. It showed that Daniel was raised right because he was so ingrained with the education of the God of Israel that even three years of Babylonian university couldn't change his mind. We have our children graduate from high school that, that maybe even from this church or from other churches in this community and they go off to four years into college or university and they come back utter liberal pagans. They come back atheist and agnostic. That four years of education turns their mind, which tells me they haven't been firmly rooted in the faith growing up. We're not doing a very good job. Okay, that's not my sermon. I digress. So we're going to get off that little hobby horse and we're going to continue on. So just think about being taken off into a foreign country with a foreign language and customs and food and culture you don't understand. It was pretty bad for Daniel. Now, I mentioned the Apostle Paul. Let's see what the Apostle Paul went through. Sometimes we want to throw a pity party for ourselves and act like everything's horrible, everything's bad, but not as bad as Daniel and not as bad as the Apostle Paul. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse 23, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse 23. Rob Shul, the Apostle Paul, says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labor, more abundant. In stripes above measure. In stripes above measure, does that mean that he was in some kind of army and he went from private to corporal to sergeant? No, stripes means that they ripped the robe off of his back, chained him to a post or chained him to a stump, stretched his back out, took a whip, and just beat his back mercifully. Mercilessly. Yeah, that's you know what I mean. Mercilessly. There we go. Mercilessly. So that's what that means. In stripes above measure. In prison more frequently. I mean, he was a frequent flyer in the prisons in the Roman Empire. And, you know, it, it's not like today. Like today... It's pretty bad in prison, I get it, but there's three hots in the cot. They don't have to worry about rats or lice or, you know, usually anything like that. They got a free gym membership, free education program. I mean, Paul was just chained to a dark, dank, dirty, lice, rat-infested dungeon. So it says, um, in stripes above measure, in prison more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. So what's 39 times five? I'm not good at math, but we don't need, you know, my, my teacher. Oh, man, my teacher. You got to learn the multiplication tables because you're not always going to have a calculator with you. Oh, yeah? Well, well, what's this? My smartphone's got a calculator on it. I, don't, I didn't need to memorize the times tables. But anyways, 39 times 5, 
That is the amount of beatings on Paul's back that he received. And he was probably being, you know, uh, conservative in that estimation. He was probably beat more than just that. That was just the official times he was beat. Three times I was beaten with rods. So in other words, you know, somebody basically took a baseball bat to the Apostle Paul and just beat him silly. Could you imagine getting curb stomped? Somebody coming at you with, with rods, with canes, with, with, you know, pipes, metal poles, or baseball bats? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And we're not talking about the cannabis, the NB cannabis kind of stoned. We're talking about people picked up rocks and threw them at him until they thought he was dead. I mean, I've been hit in the head with a little pebble. That hurts. It brings a bruise, a welt, and sometimes draws a little blood. I can't imagine being pelted with stones the size of the sizes of, of candlestick bowling balls being tossed at you. So he says, once I was stoned. And you know what ha happened that time he was stoned? They left him for dead. He was there. His body wasn't moving. He was bloody. Everybody started walking away, and lo and behold, he sat up. Aches and pains. Oh, getting up, blood gushing out, bruises, probably, you know, fractures, broken bones, maybe. And what did he do? He walked straight back into that city and preached again. I mean, this guy had guts. Three times I was shipwrecked. If I was shipwrecked once, I would not set foot on another ship. <laughs> you know, how many plane wrecks can you survive, right? You know, he was shipwrecked three times. And night and day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, perils of water, perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. I mean, he got, he got it bad from all sides, from his own people, from Gentiles, from pagans, from everybody. From, you know, he was betrayed by people he thought were his friends. In weariness and in toil, and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and in nakedness. Besides these others, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is made to stumble? And I did not burn and and I do not burn with indignations. So we see that Paul had it really, really bad. Compared to all the stuff we're going through, the bills we can't pay, the repos that are coming our way, you know, the pink slip that might be coming at the job, the job site. Not as bad as Daniel and not as bad as the Apostle Paul. Now, did Daniel die in captivity? Did he die in Babylonian captivity? No. I mean, he was a teenager when he went there, and it was a 70-year Babylonian captivity. So he was well into his 80s, maybe even 90s by the time the captivity was over. But in those 80-some years or more that Daniel was there, or that Daniel lived, and 70 of which was in Babylon, he didn't compromise his faith 
and he was blessed. He didn't compromise his faith, and he was blessed as a result. So you had all of the royalty, all of the nobility being taken into captivity, and they were going to be assimilated and be basically made into Babylonians. Forget about your land. Forget about your God. Forget about your scriptures. Forget about your religion. This is who you are now, and you have no say in the matter, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's what our society is trying to do with us, isn't it? That's exactly. They're they're, uh, land-blasting us for pushing our religion on them, but yet we can't escape the agenda that they're, they're trying to shove down our throats in public school, in the workplace, on television, on the Internet. I mean, I haven't even ate Skittles, and I'm about to puke rainbows. I mean, it's bad. It's bad. So... What happened, the first thing that Daniel had to, to come up against was that uh, they wanted him to eat unkosher. And we know how strict the Jewish law is. There's only certain things you could eat. And Daniel says, uh-uh, I'm not transgressing that. God said not to eat it. I'm not eating it. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. I don't care who gets in trouble. I'm not bending the knee to this. So all the other Judeans, the young boys, they were drinking the wine, which was probably unkosher wine. They were eating the king's delicacies, which was probably, you know, pig, lobster, crab, stuff they couldn't eat. They probably even had like goat and and chicken and, and beef, and that's fine, but it wasn't even slaughtered kosherly. So Daniel says, I'm not having anything to do with this. And so the eunuch that was in charge of him says, well, you're going to get me in trouble. He's like, look, let me make a suggestion. How about that you just kind of test this thing out? Let me be a vegetarian for an X amount of time. And, uh, you know, if it doesn't work out, we'll talk again. So after 10 days, he looked healthier and better than the other Jewish boys that were going along with the program and too chicken and didn't have a backbone to stand up against, against this. And so he was permitted. God blessed him. I mean, he could have been killed right there for not obeying the king's orders. He could have been killed right there for not eating the king's meat and drinking the king's wine. He was willing to take that chance. He was willing to take that risk. And multiple times through the book of Daniel, you'll see that Daniel did not budge. He did not become brainwashed with the three years of Babylonian university. And as a result of sticking to his guns... And sticking to his convictions and not compromising, he wasn't demoted or punished. He was promoted. He was promoted several times and in the process took his three best friends with him in those promotions. And and in these 70 years that he was in Babylon, he led a pagan king to the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar got saved, if you will, because of Daniel. Daniel prophesied, you better watch the pride. You better watch. You're not all that in a bag of chips. If you keep going down this this, this, uh, trail of pride, you're going to end up losing your mind and becoming insane. And so one day Nebuchadnezzar went out on the balcony. He's like, oh, look at my empire. How wonderful and how great. Look at everything that I've done. Look at everything that I did. And immediately he lost his mind and became like an animal. Said that he ate grass like an ox. That his fingernails grew long like like eagle's talons. 
And he was just a he was just a raving nut job animal, and they kept him in some sort of field or pen, thinking, oh gosh, what are we gonna do? So somebody else had to kind of be king in his place. And it said one day he looked up to heaven and realized, and he gave all the credit and glory to God. And he got his sanity back and became king again. He escaped the lion's den. I mean, just just think of this. He could have compromised, and he may have been able to compromise and still been okay, because this was the deal. Everybody couldn't stand Daniel. All of his peers could not stand him, his pagan peers, because they looked at him and saw him as a squeaky clean, goody two-shoe that you couldn't find anything wrong with. And they're like, man, he's getting promoted like crazy. He's like the king's favorite. You know, we've got to do something or, you know, we're just going to be like chopped liver to this king. We can't find anything to blackmail this guy on. I mean, no matter how much mud we sling, it just slides right off. Like, you, you what are we going to do? I got it. If we're going to trip him up, it's got to be something in the matter of his religion, something in the matter of his faith. So they went to the king and they said, oh, king, oh, you're, you're just so awesome. You're such a benevolent dictator. We love you. You say and do everything right. You know, you're just the greatest. I mean, it was just like, you know, the whole Wayne's world. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. And they're just buttering this king up, right? He says, we got this great idea, king. Because kings back then were considered to descend from the gods themselves. So the king was already considered quasi-deity, if you will. We got this great idea, king, to honor you. Let's make it a law that nobody can pray to any other god but you for the next month. Why, why, gee, fellas, I'm really touched. That, wow, that, that gets me right in the feels. Thank you so much. That's a great idea. Let's, let's, make, it, let's make it happen. Now, there's something you've got to understand about the law of the Medes and the Persians. The law of the Medes and the Persians could not be repealed, could not be rescinded. There were no loopholes. So whatever they passed stuck. So if you got caught praying to anybody but the king over the next month, you'd be executed. Daniel was no dummy. He was in the inner circle. He knew what passed. He knew what happened. Daniel could have went, oh, oh my goodness. Well, I'm a Jew. I I pray three times a day. What am I going to do? I know. Well, bless God, I'm going to go into my prayer closet where nobody can see me, and I'm just going to pray to God because God knows my heart. How many times have we said that to excuse ourselves of something? We're, we're, we're cowards, and we're afraid to do what we know we should do. Oh, well, it's okay. God knows my heart. That's right. He knows you're a coward. He knows your heart. He knows your heart is depraved. He knows your heart is weak. He knows your heart wants self-preservation. And what did Jesus say? If you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, you're going to save it. You're going to find it. Daniel, knowing the law, did not crawl under his bed every night and say, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. He didn't wake up every morning and crawl under his bed and say, Dear Lord, thank you for this day. No. 
He went about business as usual. He went to his balcony, which faces the east, which faces Jerusalem, which faces the temple, opens the doors in the sight of in front of everybody, and he davens, which means he prays like a Jew. And all of his conspiratorial uh, counterparts were down below that balcony and say, Aha! We got you! You're dead! King, there's this Jewish guy that's in our circle here, and he's not praying to you. He's praying to Yahweh, the God of Israel. What are you going to do about it? You've got to do something because we made a law, remember? And the king's like, oh, I've been duped. I've been hoodwinked. Oh, man, I should have seen this coming. These guys are rats. There's no, he had no other choice but to put Daniel in the lion's den. He loved Daniel. Daniel was his right-hand man. And so he's like, Daniel, I, I, I hate to do this, but you understand. I mean, it's the law. I just pray that your gods will keep you safe. And all night long, after Daniel had been sealed in the lion's den, the king stayed up all night trying to find some sort of loophole. And he couldn't. And he was worried sick. And early as he could, he ran to the lion's den and said, Daniel, are you still alive? Yep, all good, king. We're good. So after this, after the month was over, the king's like, I'm going to get these dirty, rotten rats back. He threw them and their families into the lion's den. And before their bodies even hit the ground, the lions were jumping up to catch them in midair and crushing their bones. No pain, no gain. No guts, no glory. Whoever told you that serving Jesus, that he was going to make your life better, that it's going to be a walk in the park and, oh, you're going to be blessed, lied to you, sold you a bill of goods, because he said, you know what, if you serve me, you will be persecuted. If you serve me, you will be hated. Well, well, well gee, Pastor Chris, like, how are we going to get people to the altar by preaching like that? I'm telling you, man, I have no regrets. Come hell or high water, I have no regrets because I know that my faith and what I believe is worth it. I know that what's waiting for me on the other side is much better than what I could ever have or ever gain here. Yes, you will be blessed. God will bless you. God will provide you. You will have great times as a believer. But what did he say? What did Jesus say? What did Yeshua say in the scripture about those who are easily offended? You know, they're like the seeds that are thrown in rocky soil. And it's so shallow, the soil is so shallow, they can't take root and they spring up really quickly, but as soon as the sun comes out, they wither and die. It's the same as those who hear the gospel like, yeah, I want to be, be a Jesus freak. But as soon as somebody pushes back against them saying, you're a bigot, you're a homophobe, you're intolerant, oh, so they start walking back. Okay, I guess maybe I don't want to be a Christian. You're going to lose your job if you don't wear a rainbow pen. Okay. And they start walking back. And they're easily offended because when persecution comes, oh, I, I didn't sign up for this. The disciples, when they signed up for this, every one of them but John died a martyr's death. It takes a real man and a real woman to serve the Lord. Not some pansy, wimpy person that just wants an easy skate-by life. But you know what? Despite all this that happened to Daniel, 
God protected him and provided him. And if it wasn't for Daniel, there would be no magi in Luke chapter 2 or in the Gospels when you had the wise men visit young Jesus. Because the Magi was a school that, according to tradition, Daniel started in Babylon and rose up righteous men who knew prophecy. What about Paul? Did he let the litany of events that we, that we read defeat him? I mean, be honest. Most of us in here are believers. Be honest. If you were beat with a whip five different times, if you were beat with rods three different times, you were shipwrecked three different times, you were stoned once, would you still be a believer? Would you still be a Christian? Would you still serve God? Paul, had, he knew it was worth it, no matter what he went through. And we're sitting here complaining that we can't pay our bills, we can't make ends meet, somebody's spreading rumors about me on Facebook, I'm about to lose my job because of my beliefs and my stance. And yet, we look at these guys and we think, man, I'm such a wimp. Man. So Paul did not let any of this defeat him. He didn't look at all these Bad things that happened to him as a negative. Yeah, he was given a basket full of lemons. But what did Paul do with that, those basket full of lemons? He made lemonade out of it. He saw the silver lining in that dark cloud. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. And I'll show you exactly how Paul seen all of his persecution, all of his trials, all of his tribulation, all of his trouble. This is the way he viewed it. Now, there's a thing in psychology and a thing in pop culture called reframing, which means you look at your situation a certain way. And most of the time it's, woe is me, gloom, despair, agony on me, woe, deep, dark depression, press of misery, right? If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me, woe. That's, that's the way we view life and things that happen to us because of that. I thought that because I was a Christian, because I was a believer in Jesus, that everything would be fine, and it's not fine. What's going on here? We have to reframe it. We have to reframe and not look at the negatives as negatives, but look at them as positives. And I'll tell you, my wife is probably sitting there like, you hypocrite. You stinking little hypocrite standing behind the pulpit preaching what you're preaching. You're worst of all. You're that gloom despair guy. I've lived with you for 20-some years. I know. I'm telling you, I'm preaching to myself as I'm preaching to you. I have a problem with this just like you do. I'm not that type of preacher that shies away. I'm not preaching stuff I'm guilty of. If it's in the Word of God, I've got to preach it whether I'm guilty of it or not. And if I'm honest, most of the time I'm guilty of half the stuff I'm preaching because I'm in a work in progress like you guys are. Amen. I need to be preached to as much as I'm preaching. So Paul reframed the stonings, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the canings, the whippings. And this is what he said. From prison, 
In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the canings, the whippings, all these the betrayals, the hunger, the thirst, sleepless nights. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So he's saying as a result of all these bad, negative situations, the gospel's being preached. The, 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 the gospel of Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ, the plan of salvation is being preached. Uh-oh, now you know I'm serious because I'm taking my jacket off. I'm getting ready to throw down spiritually. Almost feel like going WWE. Ooh, yeah, the cream rises to the top, right? You know, the, the macho man said. So he, so he says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that has become evident to the whole palace guard. Every time a guard, a new guard would pass Paul's cell, boy, he would tell him about Jesus. He would witness to him because, you know, usually what's what's the number one question when somebody's incarcerated? A new guy comes, is in your cell block. What's the first? What are you in for? Well, let me tell you what I'm in for. Let me tell you what about what you're about to be in for. And he starts witnessing to him about the gospel, the good news, the plan of salvation of Messiah Yeshua. So he said, I want you to know, brethren, that the things that happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Wow, that's, that's, that's pretty bad, Paul. My goodness, you you were beat with whips how many times? You were beat with rods how many times? Shipwrecked how many times? I mean, you were even stoned and they thought you were dead? Oh my goodness, Paul. That's horrible. Yes. But as a result, my persecutions has caused everybody else to be more bold, to have backbone, to have guts. Now, I'm not telling you this story to toot my own horn. I'm just giving this as an example because most examples come from the speaker's life, right? Or the family's life. But when COVID hit and everything was locked down and, you know, we were told to do this and not to do that and this and that and the other. And everybody was afraid of losing their jobs if they didn't get the ouchie fauci. And I'm not condemning anybody who got the vaccine, so please don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is I had a certain conviction. I could not bend on that conviction regarding the vaccine, just me personally. So I said, no, I don't care if I lose my job. I don't care what happens. I can't put this in my body. I feel that God doesn't want me to. So bless God, I was promoted and I got so much more money. No. <laughs> I had to walk away from my job, not having another job to go to, not knowing what I was going to do, 
But I knew I was doing God's will for my life. And as a result of losing my pastorate, I've had so many people come up to me and my wife and say such humbling things like, man, you guys are heroes. You guys weren't afraid. You guys stood up for what you believed in, and you didn't care what happened. And as a result, you gave me courage, and you helped me to take a stand. It's no different with the gospel. When you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, you're going to give others boldness to say, man, if he can go through that and stand for that, it must be worth fighting for. It must be worth standing for. You know what? I'm going to join in with this person. I'm not going to be intimidated. What did the Lord tell Ezekiel when he was facing all the paganism that was going on in Israel? He said, I have made your face like flint and your forehead as a diamond. Don't be afraid of their dirty looks at you. He was basically, the Lord was saying, I'm going to make you four times as stubborn as they are. They're doubling down. You're going to quadruple down for me. And I'm going to see you through this. So when we get pushed, you just stand firm. I'm not budging, man. You're not going to get me to, oh, I'm so sorry. Please don't. No. You're going to keep moving on. You're going to keep going. So Paul's excited because he had all this happen to him. Because as a result, more people were coming to the Lord. And more believers were becoming more bold in their faith. Paul was was excellent at reframing his situation. So it says in verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife. Look, Paul, I'm preaching and I'm free and you're not. Ha ha. That's basically what he's saying there. Some indeed preach even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ for selfish ambition for fame, fortune, money, reputation, power, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. So there are some preachers out there who are preaching the gospel, but yet rubbing salt in Paul's wounds at the same time. Did this hurt Paul's feelings? Did he say, Lord, strike them down? No, he said, what then? No, he said, uh, but latter... um, So some are uh, uh, preaching, adding affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether pretense or truth, Christ is being preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. So basically, the, the Apostle Paul was saying, you know what? Some people are out there preaching the truth of the gospel for their own self interest and their own self gain, even kind of in a way, poking jabs at me in the process. But do I care? No, because at least the gospel is being preached. That's what was important to him. Now, because Paul had cast out a demon from a girl that was a fortune teller, and the the people that was uh, her slave masters and her handlers could no longer get money by this fortune-telling girl, Paul was thrown into prison with Silas. So in Acts chapter 16, you guys still with me? Amen. I haven't reached two o'clock yet. You guys are still safe. (laughs) Acts chapter 16, 
starting with verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were bemoaning their situation. They were down in the mouth and down in the glump, uh, down in the dumps, and like Eeyore. Oh, thanks for noticing me. Isn't that what the Word of God says? Come on! I want some pushback. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> that's not what it says at all. So it says, but at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. This is after they got the flesh ripped off their backs. I mean, you know how much that stings? Open wounds that are probably in the process of getting infected. Not only that, but from my understanding, they were in stocks. They really couldn't move their arms and legs and their hands and their feet very well. And it says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, even after being beat with an inch of their life. That just amazes me. And the prisoners were listening to them. They, the prisoners, they, they got the skinny on what was going on. They knew exactly what was happening. And it says, suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. Now, some of you may be Elvis fans out there. But Elvis did not invent the jailhouse rock. Paul and Silas invented the jailhouse rock. Because it says, suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awakened from sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, supposed that all the prisoners had fled, you lose a prisoner, you lose your life. That was the rule of the Roman guard. So he had drew his sword and was about to kill himself, but Paul called with a loud voice saying, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Then he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? If, if Monday morning... God forbid you are assaulted. You are curb stomped and beat within an inch of your life. Your clothes ripped half off you. All of your possessions stolen. And if that was the precursor for somebody getting saved, would it be worth it? Yes. Isn't somebody's eternal soul worth losing your dignity, your health, your pride, your possessions? Yeah, that's a tough one, isn't it? But Paul and Silas got beat, but yet a, a, a prison guard got saved as a result of their beating. How awesome is that? What must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, on the Lord Messiah, Yeshua the Messiah, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to them and to all that were in the house. They had church. After the jailhouse rock, they had church. And he took them the same hour that night and washed their stripes, which tells you they're, they're after being beat, they weren't no disinfectant. Their wounds were in the process of becoming infected. And so it says the prison guard who just got saved took them home and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. 
Now, could you imagine maybe Paul or Silas, maybe Silas talking to his relatives when he's an old man? So you see this stripe right here? You see this? You see this stripe right here? I got that in a Roman prison. And this stripe is like a notch in my gun belt. Well, what does it mean, Silas? It means somebody got saved. It means somebody came to the Lord. Boy, you guys are quiet. All right, good. You're listening intently. Nobody's falling asleep. All right. And he took them that same hour and washed their stripes, and immediately all of his family were baptized. And now when he had uh, brought them into the house, he set food before them and rejoiced, having believed in God and all his household. Pretty amazing stuff that happens when bad things happen, right? Oh, Lord. Why do bad things happen to good people? So that people will get saved. Why do bad things happen to good people? So that you'll get more strength. Why do bad things happen to good people? So you'll appreciate the mountaintop experiences. You don't have to turn there, but... Oh, I skipped by something. I'll just tell this real quick. God even used a poisonous snake... A poisonous snake bite as a witness. At the end of Acts, when Paul was being shipped somewhere, and Paul's like, guys, we shouldn't be sailing. We're going to be shipwrecked. Mark my words. They were shipwrecked, sure enough. They all swam to shore, and so they're building a fire, right? And as they built this fire, the snake that had been hiding in the brush crawls out from the, from the fire pit and it's a viper, a poisonous snake, and latches on to Paul. And everybody's like, ooh, he's dead. He may escape the sea, but he didn't escape the serpent, so he must be a really bad man. He must be, the gods must be punishing him. He must be getting his just desserts. But it says that Paul is like, he shook it off. Just shook it off, right? And they're just waiting for him to die. <laughs> waiting for him to you know, swell up and die. And he's not dying. They're like... Well, he's not a bad guy at all. He must be a god. Because <laughs> he survived this poisonous, venomous, deadly snake bite. And it reminds me of what Yeshua said, what Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. He says, And these signs will follow them who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. We see Paul cast out a demon from a fortune-telling girl. And they will speak with new tongues. Paul says in Corinthians, I wish everybody spoke in tongues like I do. But then seek the greater gifts because tongues is the least of them all. Then it says they will take up serpents. And I'm not talking about the Smoky Mountain, Appalachian Mountain chain kind of taking up serpents. Because you know those snake handling cults, right? You've heard of those. I'm not talking about that. But it says they will take up serpents. Paul took up a serpent when it latched onto his hand. Oh, interesting. Flung them off. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Paul lived and proved and encapsulated this very verse. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. may still be sitting there saying, Oh, Pastor Chris, my life is like a bad country song. My wife left me. I lost my job, and my dog died. But seek first 
the kingdom of God. Don't pay attention to these things. Seek first the kingdom of God. Don't seek to get your wife back or your job back or to resurrect your dog from the dead. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things you stand in need of, companionship, a job, a furry pet, <laughs> all these things you stand in need of will be added unto you. Because, Romans 8.28 says, we know that all things work together. The shipwrecks, the beatings, the captivities, the lion's dens, the stonings. All things work together for good, for them that love God, and to them that are called according to his purpose. It's all for the good. Whether we want to believe it or not, whether it looks that way or not, it's all for the good. The genocides and the communist regimes and the oppressive governments around the world in China and North Korea, as a result, has produced revival in those very countries. Recall the story that I told New Year's about this rabbi, this traveling rabbi. All he had with him was a donkey, a rooster, and a lantern. And he was ministering, going from city to city ministering. And uh, so it was, it was starting to become dark. So he needed a place to camp because he was planning on going to, to, to the city the next day. He was hoping to make it there, but things come up and he wasn't able to make it there before sundown. So he had to camp out in the woods. And while he was camping out, while he was camping out, there was a, a wild bear who came and killed the donkey. Oh, great. There goes my ride. I mean, it's miles to the, to the next village. How? I lost my ride. Oh, well. At least I still got my chicken. Right? Still, I still got my rooster. Well, a fox came in the middle of the night and killed the rooster. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Not for me, the rabbi said. He, he just lost his meal. Well... At least I still have my lantern. And all of a sudden, a big wind came and... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> See, some of you were asleep. I caught you. Some of you were sleeping. Anyways, this big, big wind came and blew the lantern out. Great. I'm in the dark. Uh, some of us after service are going to have to check our depends. <laughs> So he lost all these things. Most people think that's bad. I mean, I lost everything I owned. But the rabbi learned that during the night, bandits had come into the village he was planning on staying in and ministering to. They stole everything and killed everybody. If that donkey would have went, they said, wait, there's somebody out there. There's a witness. They would have killed the rabbi. If, if they would have waited till morning because the, the bandits were still pillaging till morning and they heard, said, there's somebody out there. There's no chickens around these parts. They would have found the rabbi and killed him. And if they would have seen, you know, you know when somebody's camping out in the woods, you can see the campfire, the light of the campfire, the smoke. And he had his lantern. And if his lantern didn't blow out, they would have seen a light off in the distance as there's somebody there. Maybe there's more stuff we can pillage. We can kill that guy too. If these bad things didn't happen to that rabbi, he would have lost his life. 
All things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Amen. So let's put this in modern, modern context. You've got to go to Waterville. You've got an appointment at Waterville, and you've got to be on time. And if you're not there, you just lost your appointment, right? And you've been waiting because the great Canadian health system. You've been waiting months for a scan. You've been waiting six months to get this scan. So you're, you're, you're running late. You grab your travel mug and your coffee, you know, and you get in your car. And boom, you go over a bump and, oh, you spill your coffee all over your shirt. You're like, oh, great. Great, I'm going to look like a, a flipping bum there. You're driving down the road and you're going a little bit faster than you should, you know, and you're just trying to make it. And all of a sudden, you get a flat tire. You pull off the side of the road, it, and throw your jacket and kick your car. And I can't believe this. And people are speeding by you. And nobody will help you. And you have to go and you get get your trunk open and get your spare tires, just a little tiny donut. And, you know, you forget how to put on a tire. So you Google it real quick. <laughs> Finally, you get situated and you're on your way. And you're thinking, man, I'm late. But then as you're going along, you see the ambulance and the fire truck and the police cars. There's a car on its hood off in a ditch. And there's that dreaded blanket that's laying on the side of the road. Somebody had lost their life. And you're thinking, man, if I didn't spill my coffee and blow my tire, I could have been at that very point. I could have been the one who lost my life in that car accident. Thank you, Lord, for the flat tire. Thank you, Lord, for letting me spill my coffee. Thank you, Lord, for letting me be late to this appointment. Because at least I have my life. You get there, say, Lord, I'm sorry I'm late. Well, we already gave your appointment to somebody else. But you know what? That's okay. Somebody just canceled. If you stick around for another hour, we'll get you in. All things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Well, I, I've kind of ran out of things to say, but I know Aaron preaches a little bit longer. So turn with me and you will. We're going to read the book of Revelation. No. <laughs> I always like to, you know, give Aaron a few jabs there. He's my good buddy. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, close with a word of prayer. Oh, Lord God, we love you. We love you so much. Help us to love you more. Increase our faith. Oh, wait, maybe I shouldn't have prayed that, Lord, because in order to increase our faith, you've got to allow trials and tribulations to come to where you can glorify yourself and manifest yourself in those very bad, dark situations. So is it still okay to pray that, Lord, increase our faith? Do you still want me to pray that over you guys? Yeah. Lord, increase our faith. Help us to be like Daniel and Paul and stand unmovable on our convictions and for what is right and learn to reframe our negative situations and circumstances knowing that if we seek first your kingdom that everything's going to work out for the good and you're going to provide for us i mean we're we're almost halfway through this year it's been almost half a year since i preached the first sermon on those two verses lord i pray that everyone in here will get some index cards or or somehow just 
write these verses down and keep them in front of them at all times. And whenever, they, whenever you want to increase their faith and you allow trials, troubles, and tribulations to come to them, that they'll pull out these cards and remember these verses and say, thank you, Lord, for the trials because you're going to turn my trials into a blessing. What did James say? Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations because the testing of your faith produces patience and perseverance, etc. You're doing it for our good. No pain, no gain, no guts, no glory. Lord, glorify yourself through our lives as you did Daniel, as you did Paul. And may they be an examples to us to be bold and brave and not to back down. When the, when, the, when the boss is breathing down our throat saying, yeah, you're going to wear this rainbow shirt or you're not going to have a job. Well, I guess you're going to have to look for somebody else to take this position because I'm not doing it. Or whatever the situation may be, knowing that you will provide for us, knowing that it's these little decisions we make in our life, which is going to let the enemy win or it's going to let God get the glory and we win. Help us to be brave and bold and not back down. Come hell or high water, no matter what happens. For we ask and pray and give thanks for these things. In Yeshua's name, in Jesus' name, amen. amen.